Family Secrets is sponsored by Audible. One of my favorite things to do is listen to an Audible book. It is such a great way to relax and pass the time as you're being transported from one place to another. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment in every genre imaginable. You can listen with the Audible app anytime, anywhere. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash Danny to get started. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. You're about to hear from a man we're calling Frank Gold, not his real name. We thought long and hard about whether it was okay to use a pseudonym for a guest on Family Secrets. After all, what we're doing on this podcast is casting light into the shadows, calling everything by its true name. But Frank has a good reason for keeping his identity private, in the name of protecting others. So here's Frank. Insert air quotes. My parents, well, my family, both sides of the family came to this country around the turn of the last century, early 1900s. So my grandparents were all born in the United States. My parents were born here. I was obviously born here. And um, my grandparents were, uh, their parents were very prosperous. The people who came here were very hardworking and industrious. My father's father went to college and graduated from college. And my grandparents were all very affluent. Um, but my parents, both of them, were like re- were like a regressive generation. Instead of building on the prosperity of their immediate ancestors, both of my parents were like first-generation immigrants. They uh, neither one finished college. My father didn't even go to college. He was uh, intrigued by uh, a wealthy uncle and wanted to just skip to success. And uh, that was really not a good uh, recipe for him. And um, they got married very young, in their early 20s. And they struggled. You know, they they were poor choices and uh, short-sighted choices. And by the time I was born, they were married about two or three years. We were living in the tri-state area. You know, I remember we lived in like garden apartments, you know, not fancy. And uh, we lived in one place when I was in kindergarten. We moved again. I mean, I maybe I was the wrong kid to move a lot because uh, I take a lot in. I'm very aware. It can be hard to move around a lot as a kid. You can feel kind of unmoored. You become attached to a place, and then through no choice of your own, you leave that place. And Frank's dad kept changing jobs, so... It keeps happening for Frank, along with his younger sister and brother. For Frank, this constant moving around forms a key aspect of his character, 
one that will serve him well later in life. He becomes hyper-aware with a keen, almost sixth sense about people and places. I just remember, you know, this awareness of, like, all these parallel lives, all these, every town has a school or a school district, and, you know, every town and school is going through its own sort of, you know, John Hughes-esque high school experience simultaneously in parallel all over Long Island, all over Westchester, all over New Jersey. This, the same music, the same experience, you go to the same concerts, but separately. But when you don't move, that's your world, and you think that's, that is your world. Yet when you move at kindergarten and then at third and then at sixth, none of them are your world. This might be hard to imagine for anyone listening who's, say, under 30. Today, kids grow up with all of this connectivity. They know there are worlds other than their own. And while that connectivity, the way we're attached at the hip to our devices, definitely has a downside, it also has an upside, especially in families in which secrets are pervasive. But back then, when Frank grew up, it was hard to break through that sense of isolation, apartness, aloneness. Your family's world, your town's world, your community's world, that was the whole world, as far as you knew. So... Frank's upbringing, while making him hyper-aware, also makes it hard for him to get close to people. Because, after all, relationships don't last. Not when you keep moving. What was their relationship like, your parents? I wouldn't say it was particularly warm. They've gotten warmer, by the way, and more expressive in their old age than they ever were, that I remember growing up. I don't remember a ton of affection. I don't remember hardly any uh, emotional conversation. And I just saw them recently. And it's always slight, la-la, superficial stuff. There's no depth. that no, They don't want to talk about heavy things or emotional things that aren't necessarily even heavy. You know, the weather, about what other people are doing. Very little um, personal conversation ever. When Frank is in the ninth or 10th grade, the lack of warmth between his parents becomes something else, something harder, murkier. They've moved all over the tri-state area around New York City. And at this point, his father's commuting a pretty sizable distance to work each day, to a better job. He's making more money, but life isn't getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. And the family is pretty isolated because Frank's father has shoved away his own relatives, always because of unspoken, petty grievances. It went from, you know, some extra time to commute to all of a sudden late nights. Like, things were, like, chugging along, normal suburban existence, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, you know, my mother's anxious, upset, standing by the window, looking out the window, pacing, and... um you know, that, that creates anxiety in the, in the house. And, you know, I've, we have school the next day. And I am, by the way, at most 15, 16. You know, my sister's like nine, and my brother's in between. He would come home eventually, and uh, they would argue. They would fight. Where were you? What? Why are you home so late? Why didn't you tell me? And that's unsettling to hear, you know, when you're really wide awake in your bedroom, or worse, awakened by stuff like that. And um, 
It was a lot fast. And, you know, it's a, in a family that doesn't really talk about emotions, it was confusing. And it was the most emotional thing I'd ever experienced probably up until then. And um, all I remember looking back is how incessant it got. It, it seemed like it grew into, I mean, maybe it started off, you know, a day a week. And then it grew into like a constant thing. And there were just these arguments night after night after night and then yelling and name calling and, and it was horrible. And, you know, it's, it's really abusive to have nine-year-olds and 12-year-olds and, you know, sleeping their head listening to this. I mean, I know couples have problems, but there's a time and a place and that was neither. And I remember talking to my mother one day was very upset and saying, you know, why are you guys fighting all the time? And what's going on? Like, why can't you like naively, you know, work this out of fate? What's going on? And uh, I remember, I mean, I remember where I was standing. Like, I remember she says, well, because there's things going on. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, what do you think? I said, how the hell do I know what's going on? I'm just, I'm just listening to you idiots fight all night. Like, enough already. And uh, she says, well, there's another woman. And I didn't know where to go with that. By the way, my guess is if I had really listened to the fights, I probably would have known that by now. And maybe I did know it on some level. But hearing it, especially from, you know, your parent who you never spoke to about anything emotionally or of substance ever anyway, was jarring. And, uh... All I remember, you know, is that was that persisted through high school. I don't remember anything other than that fighting. And then I left to go to college. And uh, I went to college, and I didn't think about that for one second. Not a minute. Did you go far away? I mean, did you try? I sure did. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. About 1,500 miles away. Uh-huh. I didn't even visit the school. You know, back then you'd get a brochure in the mail and type your application and send it off and cross your fingers. But was it, was it important to you to get away? I liked the idea that it was different. And I liked the idea that, you know, that 32 kids in my class, which is about 275 kids, went to one state school. I'm not going to school with 32 people I just spent the last, you know, four-plus years with. I liked the idea that no one was going there. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm I seeing a pattern now. Yeah, I, you know, it didn't occur to me that I, like, I got to get out of here. But I did, and I wanted change, and I wanted new. And I got it. I really did. And um, what's funny or interesting is I remember going to college and totally compartmentalizing and blocking out these fights and all this horribleness. And I mean, Danny, it was night after night after night after night. It it's, it's, it's torture. I mean, you know, it's funny. At one point, I said to my mother when I was still home, you got to leave. Why are you doing this? He's not, he's not, it's not working. Like, get, get out. Let's get the fuck out of here. Like, what are we doing here? I can't. You don't understand. It's complicated. Let's take a quick break here. Family Secrets is sponsored by Audible. Lately, I've been traveling a lot. 
I've been in the back of cars, taxis. I've been on buses, on trains, on more planes than I can count. And one of my favorite things to do is to listen to an audible book. It is such a great way to relax and pass the time as you're being transported from one place to another. It's also a wonderful opportunity to take a break from screens. Just close your eyes, assuming you're not driving, and let your ears do the work. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment in every genre imaginable, including my personal favorite, memoir. You can listen with the Audible app anytime, anywhere. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash Danny to get started. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. There were other family fights going on at the same time. Frank's mother used to fight with her mother on the phone. He would hear the two of them going at it all the time. More anger, more rage that he constantly was overhearing during his childhood and adolescence. He used to want to walk into the kitchen, take the phone out of his mother's hand, and hang it up because he just couldn't take it anymore. I will say that my mother, who really is is not the uh, perpetrator in any of those stories, is the professional victim in a way. Like, how she could have those that same conversation with my grandmother countless times for years and years, I'll never understand. And then to get stuck in a, it's her own funk with my father in that dynamic, it's horrible. And um, I don't know why she took it, or she felt so powerless. But she obviously did. I don't want to say I resented her for it, but it, it angered me that she was not stronger. So now we're talking about you're in college now. I come home to visit, and my, you know, my sister and brother still live in the house because they're, they're in high school or middle school, whatever. The same thing's happening. And I think, oh my God, still, every night, every night, he goes to work. She, it turns dark. She's standing at the door, pacing, upset. Everyone's in their bed. He comes home and the same two-person play plays out you know, from 10 to midnight, like in, like, in, like like it was the first day, like I never left. Frank's now out of college, and one day, he needs to borrow his dad's video camera. This was in the early days of video cameras, when they took VHS cassette tapes, the era well before smartphones. So Frank's dad sets out to show Frank how to use the camera. Frank calls this a normalcy moment, you know, like backyard barbecues or shooting hoops or playing board games. Normal. Just something any father and son might do. So in this normalcy moment, I remember him showing it to me and how it works. And um, he had to put a tape in it. And he had a tape in it, you know, 
and he's like, you hit play, and, and you know, and then, you know, you just record, and then you can go back, and a video started to play. I think he thought the the tape was probably blank, and it was. Um, all I remember is like a kid, like a young boy playing on a lawn. And I saw it for maybe five or ten seconds. He got completely flustered. I thought, oh, I thought that was Mike. Let me see that. And, you know, took his, took his camera and shut it off and fiddled with it and wound and did something. And I thought, whatever, dude. Like, so there's something on the tape. Like, it didn't occur to me that it was his or it was a secret or... I mean, I thought, what are y'all jumpy about? Like, the reaction seemed odd, and I remembered it. And, yeah, and you remembered it. It stayed with you. Yeah, because I, you know, I think um, I've developed this thing for, it's not even conscious. um, I'm very attuned to people's behaviors, patterns, the way they do things or say things. Not consciously. I don't have a list. But when you change course when you're not consistent, when you're speaking oddly or something's out of your pattern, despite spidey senses tingle. I think for people from whom a tremendous secret has been kept, uh, develop a kind of sixth sense. Some sense of, there's a heightened sensitivity because you don't know that there's a secret. I mean, that's, it wouldn't be a secret if you knew there was a secret. There's just this feeling of hypervigilance or um, observing very carefully. The pieces not necessarily totally adding up. Um, and then I think in retrospect, those moments, like the moment with the video cassette, become aha moments. It certainly wasn't an aha, aha moment as you were experiencing it, but later... Yeah, I filed it away. And by the way, I, I didn't try to develop the skill. I didn't know I had the skill. I didn't know everyone didn't see and perceive things the way I did. But I now know, you know, that I have a hyper subconscious awareness to patterns, to behaviors. You know, it's funny. You, you don't want to watch a movie with me because I can spot that formula. There's nothing unintentional in a movie. So everything they say and do that seems meaningless or innocuous is not. It's a, it's a plot device. And I'm like, oh, he's going to get locked out of his house. Like when they focus on the keys being, like there's a reason for all that stuff. And yeah, I think this was the, this is the byproduct of this. Um, I mean, my mother told me in part, you know, the one little factoid that she knew that, you know, this fighting and, tumult was, you know, the result of an infidelity. But um, there was still so much lying and manipulation and, and emotional abuse happening. And, uh, you know, you sit up, you sit in your bed in the pitch black and you hear it all and you hear it night after night and, you know, all of a sudden you're like, I'm hearing inconsistencies in the story. She's not picking up on it because she's sobbing and yelling. But I'm thinking, well, wait, you didn't, that's not what you said two nights ago. It's a rough way to develop that skill. (laughs) So fast forward into Frank's adult life. He becomes an attorney. His skills as an interpreter of people's patterns and behavior serves him well in his career. He marries, has three kids. His parents, 
still together, incredibly, move to Florida and sort of settle into a calmer life. The violent fights have been reduced to squabbling, but with a mean edge to it. Frank doesn't see them too often. One day, literally, I'm sitting at my desk, like, life is just normal. And that stuff is very far behind me and very distant in my mind. My, the phone rings and it's my sister. And uh, she's like, hey, we need, I need to talk to you. And she said, uh, I got a call. And uh, I don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, you know all the stuff we talked about growing up and all the fighting and all that other stuff? I said, yeah. She's like, well, I got a call from um, our half-brother. And I said, what? Who? I'm unaware of a half-brother. I'm like, what are you talking about? She says, well, seems that uh, all those fights and all those late nights, it wasn't just an affair. It blossomed into another family. I said, and there's a son? She says, no, there are two. (laughs) And I laughed because it's insane news. It's unimaginable. It changes your entire reality in a moment. And it's not even just one. And I, I I needed a moment to just like process, like, okay, let me shut the door and you can tell me like, what, are you sure? Like, you don't know where to go with something like that. And uh, she told me this story, how um, this guy, kid called her and you know, he's uh, younger than us. Uh, because he was born when we were in high school. And uh, the short version is, this is the older son. He uh, speaks to my father and sees my father fairly often. And uh, he said to my father one day, you know, you're getting older and what happens like, you know, if, if you were sick or you died, like how would I know? I'd need to speak to my siblings and find out. And my freaking father's like, yeah, uh, call, call my daughter because she's the most understanding. I'm like, they didn't think I would understand. They didn't want to call me. By the way, probably picked the right person. But, you know, I went from like stunned and almost laughing to like kind of anger. So your half-brother calls your sister and introduces himself Yes. With your father's permission? Yes. And and but but my father does not have the balls to 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 make the call himself. First of all, that's a cowardly move. Do you this kid your 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 secret half your secret son wants to speak to his adult half siblings and you decide with him which one is the best to approach and then you let him do it? That's offensive. And she's like, you have no idea the conversation I had with this guy. Like, we thought we had it bad. He had the reverse, you know. He, the times that dad was home, he wasn't there. And that woman who concocted a whole story 
See, they didn't know there was another family. They thought he was busy and traveling and at work. Hold on. So your father, who was pretty ineffective in a variety of ways in life, you know, professionally, that kind of thing. As average or below, as run-of-the-mill, unexceptional as you get. Except as someone who managed to have two households, each of which didn't know about the other? Correct. How did this half-brother then know that there was another family with other siblings? He's like a, like a criminal investigator, which I think is hilarious because part of him calling my sister might have been about, you know, just so we're in contact in case something happens to my father. I think the other half, or maybe more than half, was he actually wanted some answers. And I suspect he wasn't getting them from my father. And now, now keep in mind, now we're in the age of social media. And it's not hard to find people. And it's not hard to find people with your last name or your proximity, especially if you're a criminal investigator for a police department. So then what happens, Frank? How do you process? Does your mind go back to that VHS cassette tape? Absolutely. And it goes back to why why he wouldn't stop the behavior. You know, he would lie and connive and promise, but he had a house with two babies. So he's not going to stop. And by the way, so I mean So I my sister explains all this to me and gives has a lot of details cuz she spoke to him at length. And I said this is a huge problem. This this is not okay. And um, I said, first of all, I don't really, I, I, I know this kid who called is innocent in this. You know, he didn't choose it. He's, I'm, I don't begrudge him wanting to know his full story because he had an even more bizarre, he also lived in a house of lies, just different lies. And maybe they weren't fighting, but he saw his father very, not often, Less than we did, ironically. So I don't want to meet him, and I don't want him to be in my life. And I wish he didn't exist. And while I I don't, I begrudge him nothing, it doesn't work for me. So I said that to her right away. I said, I'm not interested. I'm not talking to him. I'm not meeting him. And... My sister said, yeah, yeah, me too. I didn't believe her at the time, although I think she's come around to that. And um, I said, we have to talk to our dad about this. Like, this is not okay. And um, I thought about it for a long time. And you go through uh, a lot of different feelings, you know, those stages of grief, truly anger, denial, bargaining. I mean, you really do go through that. What would you say you were grieving? I thought those days and those feelings and those scabs were behind me. If not healed, closed at least. And like an alien just showing up. Like, I'm telling you, your reality changes in an instant. It's very disorienting to think you know the world today 
and get, receive a phone call and find out that humans exist that don't fit with your story. Blood relatives. And they're alive and they're... Uh, and it's and that's the reality. It's the difference between... Like the language, like when my when I found out that my dad hadn't been my biological father, I was describing it as something that happened to me, that I discovered that, you know, that I wasn't who I thought I was, literally. And I realized I had to change the language because it wasn't something that happened to me. It had always been thus. Like it had, oh, right. it, ha- it was me. And that, I think, is part of what's so shocking and disorienting when you uncover a secret like that because it was the reality you didn't know it was the reality, but it was for a very long time in your life. Yes, and I feel betrayed and deceived because of it. And I never trusted people that much. Like when I'm, I, I, most people give people trust, and then people can lose that. I, st- I don't distrust, but I start out at zero. No one gets credit in advance, and that was formed long before this phone call. The phone call lets me know where, where it came from, even though it wasn't always conscious. We're going to pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor. Hey, young world, the world is yours. The Ball Alert Show podcast is a new podcast with a fresh perspective on pop culture happening. The NFL, you're not just going to tear the NFL down in one sitting. And let's, let's talk about this. They're all 80. Every owner is 70. They're on the way out. Comment creeping on social media. People are like, okay, Aisha Curry is like a little corny or whatever it is they think, right? So now it's like anything that she does, oh, she didn't do the Millie Rock right. Oh, she didn't expre- explain City right. and Hot Girl Summer right. Oh, she, like, damn, like, it, it's, y- y'all are, y'all are alive. Baller man. My man is in jail and I started to like someone else. I know it's not right, but I really can't fake what I'm feeling. What should I do? And we even cover world news. It's your lifestyle specialist, Kenny Byrne. With your favorite Ethiopian Sue Solo. And the kid, Ferrari Simmons. Make sure you check us out on our brand new podcast. The Baller Alert Show Podcast. Available now on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Bob Roth, CEO of the David Lynch Foundation and a Transcendental Meditation teacher for over 50 years. I've taught many thousands of people to meditate, from celebrity clients to students in inner-city schools. Now I'm bringing some of what I've learned straight to your ears with my new podcast, Stay Calm. A lot of people are skeptical about meditation, I was too when I first started practicing, but meditation and other science-backed techniques for calming yourself can change your mind, your body, and your life for good. We'll cover topics like sleep, the science of gratitude, and ways to boost your immune system to help you be healthier and find peace during these troubled times. So whether you want to master meditation for life or just want to find a few moments of calm in your day, then I invite you to tune in And together, let's learn how to stay calm and be happy. Listen and subscribe to Stay Calm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Frank tells his wife the story because, as he puts it, that's what couples in healthy relationships do. But he feels sick about it, embarrassed, as if somehow this reflects poorly on him. And then, after sitting on it for about a week, he calls his father. I said, this is not okay. It's not. He says, look, life is complicated. And, you know, 
all I could say is you, you, you know, you have needs, you take actions, you do something and you think it's one thing and it turns into something else and all of a sudden you have this. And I said, yeah, maybe for one kid. Not two. The two's not an accident. One is like, oh my God, what happened? Two is a family. You know, fool me once. Two? Unforgivable, unacceptable. He's he's bullshitting me. He's he's selling me, you know. This all, hey man, you know, you think it's one thing. No. At some point you were in. When you were when you took that fucking video camera there to film your sons, you knew what you were doing. By that point, it was not unintentional or an accident. So don't tell me that that crap. I mean, my I, I, my whole life and career is about sussing out full of shit people. And he's he's you know patient zero in in, in full of shitness for me. So I'm imagining that that conversation like doesn't particularly end with some kind of like great closure for any anybody involved. No, it doesn't. And I'll tell you how it ends. He says, "Look, you know your mom. I don't think you want. We, we, you know, you should burden her with this, and it would be a lot for her." And I realize my mother, and I'm going to say this intentionally, may not know. He thinks she doesn't know. She may know. She may have a video camera story in her head someplace. Or she may not want to know. And I said to him, stop. I will talk with her about this or not because of my relationship with her. Don't ask me to do something or not do something because I'm more likely to do it to spite you. So stop selling me. And here we arrive at the reason, or at least part of the reason, why Frank is using a pseudonym for this episode. His mom, as far as this part of the story goes, is innocent. Also, his kids. He doesn't want to be the guy who suddenly doesn't speak to his relatives the way his father did. He's refusing to allow his father to turn him into a version of himself who he hates and disrespects. So he doesn't say a word to his mother or his kids. Five years go by, and Frank's daughter wants to go to Florida to see her grandparents. There's a Pink Floyd concert that Frank wants to see that's happening in Florida at the same time. So he tells her, you know what? I'll come with you for the weekend. We'll see them. I'll go to the show. Then his dad catches wind of it, and he says he wants to go to the show too. He knows the venue, knows all the guys there. At first, Frank recoils, but then... I thought, again, am I being that guy, you know? Again, I have a reason why I can't see my father, and I don't want to be him, you know? So I think, I'll give it. How, how bad can it be? What could go wrong? So um, we go to this, this concert, and uh, it's fine. He knows the people at the, in the parking lot. He knows the ticket takers. Because the guy who thinks he's antisocial is, you know, the schmoozer. He knows everyone. He's connected. And it's, it's, a, it's a real conflict between, you know, how he describes himself and how he acts. We go to the concert, and uh, there's an intermission. And we decide to go you know, get some, walk around, go to the bathroom, whatever. And as we're walking up the steps to leave the arena, it's like, oh, this is a, you know, a client of mine. 
some local guy of renown that he knows. He's like, the guy's like, hey, how you doing, man? And my father's like, hey, how you doing? Let me introduce you to my son. And he introduces me, but not by my name, by the half, the older half brother's name. And he doesn't realize he does it. And he just, and the guy's like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. And they just chit chat for a minute or two. And I am stunned. Like, like the arena got quiet, you know, like that device in a movie where it's just you, like the camera zooms in and all, and everything fades to like a hush. And you're like, like time stood still. And you're like, where do you go with that? And I thought another test, you know, and I said to myself, I really consciously thought this, I'm not going to get freaked out by this. I'm not going to let this ruin this night for me. I'm letting this one go. And he says goodbye. The whole transaction is like two minutes. And we walk into the arena and he goes, oh, he's a really nice guy. I said, yeah, and um, wrong son. He's like, what? I said, I'm Frank. You introduced me by Southern name. And he turned red and he looked bewildered. I've never seen, maybe the only other time I saw that face was on the video camera. You know, and he was fumbled and grabbed, confused. You know, the two worlds all of a sudden overlapped, matter and antimatter. And he did, and he looked so embarrassed. I've never seen that expression. He says, oh, uh, I mean, oh, did I? I, I? I don't think, I, I said, yeah, you did. And anyway, let's go. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, he's a, he's a great kid. And, you know, you shouldn't be, I mean, I said, stop speaking about it. And don't mention it again, old man. And that's it. And we walked away. Throughout our conversation, Frank's embarrassment that this, this is his family, this is his father, this is where he comes from, is palpable. He so badly doesn't want this to be his story. He got out. He moved away. He built his own happy, successful life. And then this new piece of information shameful information, as Frank experiences it, has crashed in like a meteor. And he's now carrying around this story like his own secret. Is this why he doesn't want to tell his kids or talk to his mom about it? Embarrassment? Shame? First of all, it's not my secret to tell her. It's his. So one, that's, that's my rationalization to get me off the hook now that I know this piece of information that I don't want to that I don't feel I should even be the one to tell her. And I don't know that she'd want to hear it from me, but I wouldn't want to hurt her. She's the one who never left. And she's the one who still lives with this guy. I don't want to wake the sleepwalker. So Frank puts this whole story somewhere inside him, or at least tries to file it away. He doesn't think about these two half-siblings of his. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. It's not their fault that their father had two families. Intellectually, Frank knows this. But that doesn't matter. Or at least, it doesn't matter enough. So he doesn't think about this all that much. To the point where, when he does one of those over-the-counter DNA tests, it doesn't occur to him that... Wait for it. Guess who showed up in the database? They think you're their half-cousins or whatever. And my kids are in there under my account. My sister is in there and her son. 
I had to, uh, I shut it all down. I stopped the sharing. I broke the connection. I did, other than quit the service, I shut anything down that makes a connection or shares information or shows names. I stopped sharing with any relatives or anybody. Because again, you know, the virus showed up again. Did it occur to you that that might happen or, or did that not enter your mind? I didn't think about it. That's so interesting. I never thought about it. So there's this way, it strikes me, that the way that you have managed to metabolize this and kind of just move on with your life is to just bring down, it's something bigger than a curtain. It's like the bring down a, like a big, thick concrete wall. Like it doesn't exist. It shouldn't have existed. So therefore it's not going to exist. So you would have been able to do something like submit your DNA to a commercial testing site and actually not think, hey, wait a minute, there's this world genealogically out there that could be complicated. Yes, because it's the same compartmentalizing when I went to college the first time and came home and said, what, this is still happening? But of course it was. I mean, why wouldn't it still be happening? So in a way that compartmentalizing has served you well. I think so. (laughs) All right, so I have one more question. So you said before... You said this great thing. You said, I'm glad I know. I wish it didn't exist, but I'm glad I know. Why are you glad you know? Well, because it's reality. I'd like to thank Frank for trusting us with his story today. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer, Lowell Berlanti is the audio engineer, and Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share with us, you can get in touch at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer, and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod, and Twitter at Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Family Secrets is brought to you by Audible. We live in a noisy, busy world. And lately, I have been really noticing that what I want to do is put on my headphones and I want to listen. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment in every genre imaginable. You have, at all times, a library at your fingertips. You can listen with the Audible app anytime, anywhere. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Just visit audible.com slash Danny to get started. There's a darkness that dwells in the center of the world. It's the kind that make up the nightmares that kept you awake as a child, clutching your blanket as you cry for your parents. It's the kind you cannot escape, no matter how hard you try. Listen to Lighthouse Now on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.